This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Today, no. Yeah. Oh, here we go. You have to start again. I, I need to see it. That's it, right? Okay. Make it bigger. Make it bigger. Okay. Not that big. Okay, hold on. Notice Kath doesn't do anything. She just <laughs> says, "You make it bigger. You do this. <laughs> uh, just make it bigger. Make that, but drag that out." You know, you said this week with the, the fronts, you weren't going to say. That's You're me. Like me. You I've said got it. To stop it. The first question. <laughs> the first Did question. you notice that, Joe? <laughs> Said, I promised. I promised. I wrote it down that I would not yeah, say that to anyone said it ever on the again. First question: What is wrong with you, Rachel? Come on, Joe's got to listen to this shit. Welcome to I Wish I Was an Only Child with Kathy. That's me and me, Rachel Mason, where we speak to other siblings about the dynamic of their relationship so we can see where we're going wrong. Today we spoke to comedy writer and performer Rebecca Front and her brother Jeremy, who is a writer. It was the most polite podcast we've ever done. They're way more polite than ours. I don't. I think. I think there's always a load of shit under the surface. I don't believe anyone who's really polite. I'd go to a cabin for a week and I would find some terrible, dark, awful stuff. I don't think they'd like that in the intro. Rachel's oh. shitting herself because Rachel can't cope with anything that isn't. You yeah. like polite. I like polite. Yeah. yeah. Rachel really polite. likes polite. Polite uh, means. Uh, yeah. Polite means. Uh, less polite makes me shit myself. T- tension. We panic, yeah, yeah. and it's like a proper panic attack. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. sweating right. from just doing that. Yeah. Rebecca, exactly. we are soulmates on the uh, all of that shit. <laughs> Trust me. So, who's the funniest? I think he is. I don't know. Oh, I mean, really? you've now got to say it's me. But I do. I think in a room, <laughs> like over Christmas or something, I think Jen would make people laugh more than I would. Really? Mm, definitely. I would give you the script to make you laugh. Yeah, yeah. You need the script. <laughs> That's right. I, I yeah, see. I could deliver it okay. in a funny way. I think you 
you riff in a very funny way. So, you know, Jen will Jen will kind of pick up on a theme in a conversation and just go crazy with it, go off in a weird direction in a very writery way. So I, I would say you're the funnier of us. Oh, well, that's interesting. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, you, you certainly, well, you make me laugh. You, you've always made me laugh. But I think the weird, the funny thing about that is you were always the performer. You were always the, and I, I, I kept well away from that. So maybe in a room, you know, of nearest and dearest or close friends, that's a, maybe a thing. The idea of doing that in front of, you know, people, mm. strangers or a big room full of people is, is it would be a totally different thing. But uh, yes, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll take that. Thank you. <laughs> well, I think it makes to me, it makes complete sense that, that I'm 99 percent the writer and I do some performing. But she always absolutely loved and lit up in mm -hmm. front of a crowd uh it started very young didn't it in in a room mm. but as soon as there was a chance i would say she she and she looked completely mm. at her mm. whereas uh, any opportunity from certainly at school if they said there's a christmas player i would be under the desk if trying not to make eye contact what I have these really strong memories of us being kids and say you know like going to auntie Sadie's house or something and my the people who were funniest in that room would be our dad and Jem, and they could just play off each other and they push each other's buttons and the the jokes would just get madder and madder and more and more dark and extreme and and I'd sit there kind of helpless with laughter, but I didn't really join in very much, and I think that's probably why for me being on a stage and having a character and having a script that's where I thrive whereas for you i I do think you're naturally very funny we were probably working on something together. And you, you said writing, you felt out of control. You, it was completely the opposite. And I felt that I could, I could make the characters and the world and the story that I needed to. Yeah. And if it went wrong, that's fine. It's supposed to go wrong. You tear it to mm -hmm. pieces and you, and you start again. And you just don't give up until you've, until you've got something. Whereas you didn't like that, I think. No, I agree. In fact, funnily enough, I've just written, uh, I just finished this morning, uh, the, my first column that I've written for ages. I used to do mm. regular newspaper columns. And um, I said I'd do one just as a sort of guest column for something. And immediately I got that tension again. That's like you mm. were saying about the game earlier on. I get that knot in the stomach and that sort of, this is now a problem, you know. So I started writing the thread of what I wanted to say. And obviously it's got to be funny and it's got to be personal, but it's also got to work in 800 words and all that stuff. And immediately I thought, oh, this is now a set of problems that I have to solve and it's just bothering me. Whereas when I'm on stage, uh, not even on stage, but in front of a camera, it's I have a totally different feeling because, of course, it's also you could look at it as a set of problems. You know, I have I have to remember my lines. I have to hit the mark. I have to, you know, uh, not pull focus from the other person. There's a whole load of but I never see those as problems. I see those as kind of exciting tools and skills that I can play with. And I, I, I come alive in that environment. But writing me in a computer or even you, me in a computer it just feels like, oh, God, now we've got this to solve. And I just, after a bit, I just realised I didn't enjoy it very much. But I think that I've always, Rachel's partner's a writer, and I always think he likes having control of the work. You know, you, you have complete control of the thing you're doing. And I know, Rebecca, because you suffer from the same anxieties as I do, uh, yes. you'd think that that would be something we would be drawn to because mm. it's a form of control. So it's quite interesting that you haven't. 
yeah I wonder if maybe it's just because I can't distract myself as well when I'm writing mm. when I'm acting it's, uh, and I, I've written about this in in the part ironically written about this in the past I'm never more relaxed I think than when I'm filming something so mm. I've had times in the past when I've been in a full-on panic about something or other I mean like haven't slept for three nights haven't mm. been able to eat anything you know my, my heart's racing and I can't really make eye contact with people and like everything's kind of shutting down and mm. I go in front of a camera and I'm just fine I'm relaxed and nobody knows anything about it and yeah. and even before getting in front of the camera actually just I go into makeup and immediately I'm just like hi hey everybody hey good wow. to see you it just goes completely so that's obviously my that's the water I swim in I think yeah yeah. So when you were kids, was that dynamic happening when you were kids? Were you very anxious? And Jeremy, how were you dealing with that? We actually, we, we wrote a, a short film together, we did for, for Sky, which was based on, on a sort of Becker's, Becker's uh, short period of, but I think it was sort of short period of, I would guess, of early anxiety, wouldn't you? Yeah, but I mean, it was a proper, it was, it was a it was, this a school phobia? <laughs> so was, yeah. I've read about yeah. the school phobia, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and Rebecca, whenever she's talked about it, in fact, you should, we we had a brief chat about some stuff this morning, and she and she mentioned it again, and I was thinking, and she said, you know, I don't mind if I can talk about that, you know, if if, we, if it comes up, uh, and she said, you know, feel free to say what, but I've, I do, I remember it, but I think it was, and it was actually very interesting working on the story and the script for this film because, of course. Everyone comes at things from their... They have their own memories, you mm. have. And even though we're very close as a family and we're very close siblings, what I remember is is probably quite different. I remember the events and I remember some of the events and I remember the the kind of stress and the atmosphere it, it caused. But actually, I think each day... We were both at school and I think each day there would be this sort of weird thing in the morning where Rebecca would do her flip basically to to not go and I'd go to school and I do not I mean it wasn't I didn't I didn't love school at all but I don't remember being at school and sort of sitting there stewing and worrying I think I was just I was just at school Jeremy you're four years older than Rebecca is that right Mm. yeah yeah that's right yeah 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 if I was youngish at secondary school Rebecca that's roughly when Mm. when Rebecca was having that 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 period yeah because i you would have been what 14 i suppose i was 10 10, i was 11 wasn't i so you were yeah yeah, 14 stroke 15 yeah that's right and i think maybe that's partly why maybe if we'd been closer in age it might have impacted you more i think it probably did impact you and maybe you weren't really aware of it Mm. but i Mm, suspect also just you were at a different point in your life when you could actually just close the door and go off to school and Mm. get on with your day because similarly kath got school I had phobic, it. I had which same. I never knew. I, I, yes, mm. we had very bad. How old were you, Kath? I was like 11 when it kicked off. Right. I had vomit phobia and school phobia, right. so I just couldn't go to school. Well, you were terrified about someone vomiting in yeah, assembly. all of the, the anxieties that we have. Yeah. Yeah. So, and Rachel had to deal with and that. I, yeah, and, but similarly, I, but I definitely noticed it and definitely mm. the impact. What's the gap between you two? 18 months. 18 months, right. and I'm younger. Oh, much closer. But so maybe yeah, that is very... partly why, because, yeah, yeah. because you're much closer. Mm. And as you say, if you're younger as well, you're so influenced by the other, the older sibling. And I just kind of sailed along. You know, right. I don't know about you, Jeremy, but I didn't have... It was only in later life when I had anxiety or issues, I began to understand a bit of what Kath had been through. But at the time, yeah. it was quite alien to me.
I would. I didn't like my uh, secondary school, I, uh, school at all. Really, I didn't. I didn't particularly want to be there. I didn't particularly enjoy it. It wasn't a great place. Um, so I don't know how much Rebecca remembers. I, I, there were times when I would feel awful about going in, but I. <laughs> it sounds awful because I'm going to say, well, well, pull it, get over yeah. it. That's <laughs> what I, Rachel I, I would say. Recall, yeah. I just did it. I just. I you know. I mean, I would feel nauseous or something mm. first thing in the morning then kind of get over it and and drag myself along there and then it was a you know it wasn't I tend to underplay these things I think mm. uh I tend to say well you know what can you do lots of people don't like this school so what yeah. get over it and I was bright and I was good at at some so, well some things more than others but I was you know I think I I think I felt I shouldn't, it wasn't really where I should be, that particular mm. school, but it's where I ended up being, had to go. And and the minute I could leave and go to sixth form college, I just went like a rocket, just couldn't wait to get out. But you weren't troubled by, because I think Rachel was troubled by the fact that a lot of attention was on me. Yeah. I don't remember being bothered or anything or jealous or sort of, I don't remember feeling that. But of course, I think also there's, I would I would have thought at that time um, that you were probably sort of, you know, like a little island of calm in the household, because obviously what I what was going on with me was impacting on everybody. And Jeremy was just kind of getting on with it. Uh, so in a sense, although it might have appeared that all the attention was on me, mm. there was a, there's also an element of that. Jem really had a place in that in that little yeah. ecosystem. And his yeah. place was to just be stoical and get on with it. And that and that had its value, and maybe the fact that there's a big age gap between us meant that you were somehow able to understand that that it wasn't so much that all the spotlight had turned on me, but it was just we had different roles to play, and my role was to go, Ugh! and your role was to go, okay, I've got this, you know, and that and that <laughs> yeah. kind of gave it you, well, it. you maintained status throughout that. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't quite possible. I don't yeah. think intentionally. I just think. No. That gave you, you had a place. My um, my husband's sister has five children who are all now grown up and have their own children. Mm. But she, when we had our kids, she said this brilliant thing about, she said, when you have, as soon as you have more than one child, the one that comes along fills the gap that's been left by the previous yeah. one. And of course, if you've got five kids like her, you see that happening time yeah. after time. Weirdly, mm-hmm. we found that even now getting a dog is that is that my son is one thing, my daughter is completely different. And then... The gap between the two of them has been filled by the dog. Very oddly, so it's obviously there's there's only so much space in the family, and it's being filled appropriately. It's being apportioned, or we take our portion of it. So that's why I wonder, Jem, if maybe the fact that I did have this kind of spectacular meltdown meant that your portion of the pie was taken up by being, you know, stoical and getting on with it and not making a fuss. And that at that period, that was kind of who you who you were and that was and that made you vitally important in the in that ecosystem were you close as kids or were you fighty we were very very close but we Jem used to tease me a lot which meant that of course we did fight we bickered we bickered more than fought really I don't I mean I remember one or two real kind of I I do remember once biting you which I think I referenced and you didn't remember it at all do you remember that I said we talked about this not long ago I said I, I remember biting and really wanting to hurt and you went, really? did you? And I was slightly you have... offended. <laughs> you didn't remember because it was such a big thing for did... me. 
Um, Do you remember why? Did you didn't have teeth at the time. You sure you had teeth? <laughs> no, I, was, I think I was about nine or so. Oh, I do remember why. I remember the trigger because it was quite rare for us to really get angry yeah. with each other. And I remember the trigger was that when, and it, this still happens now, when I get angry, I my throat closes up and I sound like I'm crying. So when I get angry, I just sort of goes kind of like that. And I just remember, and you knew that. And I just remember Jeremy turning. And it's not, it's not funny. It's, not, it's not nothing funny. funny about it. And I remember Jim Je- <laughs> sort of turning around and going, all right, there's no need to cry about it. And he knew I wasn't oh, crying. That was the yeah. thing. And I, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, only yeah. time when I remember absolutely losing it with you. But you don't seem to remember it. I like to think because you're traumatised by it. But I think, <laughs> yeah. I think it was probably yeah. like a mosquito, yeah. you know, just going, <laughs> and you just going, you know, that's <laughs> Probably, would you agree? You you do. I don't think you do it consciously, but you have a lot. You you wear a lot of emotion closer to the surface. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. And and you're. I think generally you're more open about stuff. And I'm I'm just very. I'm kind of. I I'm not saying. I know you do treasure your private life, but I absolutely. It's nobody's business. My life is my life, and that's why social media can kind of. I go. You know, yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I, I was going to develop a an anti-social media network called, you know, just call it something called like, Bitter. <laughs> yeah, what's it to you? What do you want to know for? <laughs> yeah, that hasn't changed as you've got older. Because in terms of performing, you said now you perform and you don't care to the degree that you used to. I've become more open actually. Mm. I've sort of watched you. I don't know. I was so closed for so long, and right. I think it's been quite nice. I see her release everything. She's exploding all the time. You know, all right. comes out. And I've a bit like, well, I, I'd like a bit of that sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Just have that release. Yeah. But no, yeah. Jeremy, uh, no. Not really. No, I think, I think, do you remember some years ago, a few years ago, we, I, we had, we were some, something, one of our projects, and they wanted a photograph. Oh, uh, yeah, place. yeah. And, and I went, oh, God, are they really? And I was, I was really quite, key. I, I was going out of my way not to have my photo or my image on any of their sites, where, mm. you know, Twitter, Facebook, I just thought, screw them. Right. What's it going to? Why should they? And eventually, <laughs> and Becca said, "You're mad. Why are you saying?" And I said, "It's none of their business what I look like. I don't care what what." And uh, eventually, we did, and we did. We we allowed a photograph of the two of us in a playground. I think I was about five or six. Oh yeah. And you were even, and I think probably you, you were preschool. I think. Yeah, I, I'm running yeah, I up to I meet you. I know the you photo. Yeah. or something. And actually, we did it, and it's a very sweet photo, sweet black and white photo. But you know, every now and then, because of course it's now, it's now out there. And every now and then, I see it, and I get a, a, a moment of resentment. Wow, in really? The world. It still really? annoys me. Yeah, because it's mine. Wow. It's nothing to do with them. Well, strictly speaking, ours, think, you know, actually. But... Yeah. Well, sorry, it's ours, <laughs> it's ours, yeah. It's a family thing, and I always think family is sacrosanct, and it's nothing to do with them, mm. and them being the public. Oh, no, <laughs> well, you're doing a sibling well, podcast. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> we can change yeah. the subject. <laughs> that, that's because I'm, I'm a loudmouth, that's why. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, that's yeah. very interesting. I didn't realise that it still bothered you. That's really interesting. Up to a point. I mean, I, you know, I don't lay awake. You know, I'm too, I'm too laid back to lay, to lay awake worrying about it. But uh, every now and then, it's, I, I, I know there's a joke here that, you know, I kind of say, they've stolen a bit of my soul. <laughs> it's, but it's that. You are kind of know. like one of those sort of obscure groups of people that you find somewhere, you know, that have never been touched by humanity. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And I, I've come in bringing, you know, viral loads. Exactly. I know. No, you do. You something. do. 
Here to Judge is a new weekly podcast from Little Wonder where we dismantle predicaments posted online. Featuring spicy dilemmas from Am I the Arsehole on Reddit. I haven't stopped giggling since you've said the word poops. <laughs> to Am I Being Unreasonable quandaries on Bumsnet. I'm an adult and I'm reading this aloud. <laughs> Join me, Priya Hall. Me, Robin Morgan. And me, Leila Navabi. Subscribe to Here to Judge now on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I love this podcast so much. I was very closed about everything that I was suffering from. And then when I started talking about it, it got better. So I think the more... uh, 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 Jeremy, you're you're heading for a terrible future, is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. no, but just I, for me, it's been incredibly helpful to be able to talk and be upfront about stuff instead of instead yeah. of hiding it. So no, it has it has for me as well immensely, mm. and also I I think it's helpful for other people when you yeah totally talk about stuff. So that's why because uh, I was very resistant at the beginning when I first started mm. acting and obviously doing lots of interviews and stuff, and I used to be very very private about you know mm. I would never have talked about the school phobia or even claustrophobia or any of the other stuff and then after a while I did think you know what I think it, firstly it's nothing to be ashamed of and secondly I've had some therapy so I'm, I've, I've dealt with it um, but thirdly actually it's probably quite useful to talk about and particularly the school phobia thing I've mm. had so much feedback from people because it's so scary to go through that with your child it really um, is. And I think, you know, I've had lots and lots of messages from people saying, I'm so, I was so relieved because my 12-year-old daughter has just suddenly stopped going to school and I don't understand it. And now I feel mm. like I've got a bit of insight into what's going through her head. And, and it's so common, you know, it's really, it's really common. So Teenage common. anxiety is very yeah. common, but still not talked about. But I knew of nobody going through it. Yeah, yeah. nobody. And claustrophobic, claustrophobia for you. I, if we're on a train, I have to stand outside the toilet door while Kath goes to the loo. I've never locked lock a toilet door. door. I've yes. never locked a toilet door in my life. And I bet you you share my thing about, you know, on Virgin trains, they have those automatic oh, doors. Oh, I won't go what on Virgin trains. They're awful. <laughs> no, I didn't for a long time, and now I do. But I my heart's in my mouth every time. No. They, you, Jem's looking at me like, doesn't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but they, it's like, you know, those when they introduce those... Oh horrible windowless concrete bunker loose yes, in the west end yes. of london yeah and and you i just would never go one of those in a million years and then suddenly they brought them onto trains exactly yeah. so rachel horrible. has to hold the door yeah or my partner and now my right. eight-year-old son has to stand holding the door so it's exhausting it's exhausting <laughs> but there we go um exactly. so so sorry going back to childhood then you were obviously a close happy family your parents i've read are very creative mm. Yeah, so, and they are, you know, genuinely brilliant people, aren't they, Gem? I mean, they're just yeah, yeah. extraordinarily, thank God, still around and mm. we see them all the time because they live close to us. Um, and they are, yeah, it was it was a properly happy childhood, actually. Thank goodness. I feel immensely. Yeah. I think it was only sort of as I got older and went away to university and started talking to other people and realised, I, I thought, that's actually really unusual what we it had. It is, yeah. How lovely. We lived in a in a, a northeast London suburb, which was uh, not. Uh, it wasn't a kind of uh, Hampstead-y, you know. It was it wasn't a place full of bookshops or anything like mm. that. But our our house was our home was absolute was like a you know it was it was like a gallery and a and a library, and it was full of music, uh, very eclectic. But you know a lot of classical music and jazz and all sorts of stuff. 
and pictures everywhere and colour everywhere and books everywhere. I mean, every room. So that, I attribute all of, you know, everything really came from them and, and also the feeling that um, really encouraging us, even though, even though they knew how mad, how mad this kind of life could be. Mm. Uh, but nevertheless said, no, no, you should, you should do, don't, mm. don't, don't do, don't go and do something and then think, oh, God, what if? Yeah. What, yeah. what if I'd, I hadn't? What, you know, don't look out of an office window one day and think, oh, God, why am I doing Yeah. What, what, what I could have done with my life. And, and so they were brilliant, are brilliant. I mean, my, my sort of abiding memory, and I know this was the same with you, is that you'd come home from school and you'd say, they'd say, you know, so what, what did you do today? And you'd go, um, uh, we did a bit of poetry. And they'd say, what? And you'd say, uh, oh, we read something by, I don't know, Tennyson. And immediately both of them would go off into, onto sep- separate bookshelves and separate rooms and one would have a book on Tennyson and one would have a, wow. a book of illustrations of Tennyson poetry and they'd be like, oh, I know what I should show you. Oh, do you know this bit wow. of music? Because this is contemporaneous with, you know, they were just, they loved, they're, they're both kind of, they've both got an education, but they're sort of autodidacts as well in mm. that, you know, dad left school relatively young and specialised, went to this specialist art school. So he's, but he's kind of shaped his own education beyond art ever since you know he did an open university degree a few years ago and um and mum had you know had the equivalent of a degree and a teaching diploma and taught for years but they just never they've never got tired of learning which wow. is a real um it's a real lesson as they've got older I think I found that a real something that I kind of aspire to just you never stop you never stop learning yeah stuff. they they actually yeah I mean they they they, they always looked at the present at contemporary i mean they looked they obviously they absorbed history in the past but they were completely open to new new stuff and new things mm. and took us along to all sorts of things yeah they? that's right lots of uh, concerts and, and theater yeah, and whenever and, and there and wasn't a huge like amount that. of money coming in but it was just you know no. they, they would spend that money on taking us to the purcell room or something to see a little you know, children's concerts or did you feel different as a family? Uh, was, yeah. Did, yeah. did you keep yeah. to your own friends or did you have friends who came into the house or did you stick within your family unit? I think I bet we have probably similar but slightly different takes on it. Yeah, because, go on, right. you, you go first. Becky. Well, I, I had a really close knit group of friends, both at primary school and then at secondary school, sort of smallish groups, but very, very close. And my friends were always very from very different backgrounds. Uh, apart from, I suppose, one one friend came from a slightly similar background, but most were from quite different backgrounds. Generally, they came into the house and generally they, mum and dad were always really welcoming because I think it was just like more more people to, to share it with. Mm-hmm. So then then these conversations about what, do you, what did you do at school today would be expanded to my friends, which was really lovely. So they'd come home after school and my mum would be going, you know, so what are you doing in geography at the moment? And my friend Christine would say, well, I've just learnt this. And she'd go, right, I've got this thing, just wait there, I've got a book of maths. And it would, it would just sort of expand outwards, which was lovely. Mm. Is that, was that your yeah. memory as well? You probably brought friends... I did bring friends home a bit, but I think I... My feeling of school was I kind of wanted to leave it behind right. most of the time. And that included a lot of the people. I had friends at school and I would hang out with them at school and a, and a bit afterwards. But I didn't, I did, I wasn't desperate to have friends over all the time mm. and that kind of thing. So neither of you rebelled? You didn't want to get away from this kind of magical house, no? 
I, I didn't at all, because I felt like I'd done my rebellion when I was 11. Yeah. So I think once I got over that, which took the best part of a year, I suppose, to properly come out of it, I, I didn't rebel. I didn't feel the need to rebel at all. Did you? You did no. slightly more. Well, you didn't really rebel. I mean, you were a bit. You sort of went through a few it was... fashion phases. And but Rebecca, I've read about you going through a phase of wearing a cape at fifteen, and I didn't yes, want to hear were, about that. There was the cape phase, yeah, which wasn't I, for me. wasn't a rebellion. I felt like everybody should be doing this. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> didn't weird. understand why they weren't. I mean, just going back to thinking about the, the what what the house the house looked like. The suburb itself had become. I mean, probably probably post war had become a very uh, Jewish. A lot of Jewish people had moved out of the East End and gone to various various satellite suburbs around around the Central Line or whatever. So there was there was a very high proportion of um, of Jewish people mm. uh, in, in our including uh, us. amongst including us. And but but also just generally, uh, it was either that or or pretty much wasps, wasn't it? Very white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. So it was a, that kind of mix. But the um, most houses would have fairly plain white walls and maybe a framed photo or something or framed so, someone someone's mitzvah photo or a wedding in a, in a gilt frame. Mm. There, you wouldn't see pictures, you wouldn't see books. And ours was, there was the, the colour of the room, apart from anything. I remember neighbours sort of saying, ooh, aren't you bold, to my parents. Wow. It was a kind of amazing sort of plum colour room they could see into but it was lined with books and paintings and and there was a kind of cultural desert around us and there was this house with us in and it felt very it just it i it felt different and i know everyone likes to think you know it's like the king song i'm not like everybody else mm. you know but you always think i'm i'm special i'm different but actually it did feel it felt i felt sort of outside of that have you replicated that with your families now? Uh, I think, I mean, we, we both, we live in a much more, we live sort of with more kind of like-minded people, I suppose, where we live more in a sort of, you know, ghetto of middle-class arts people and everybody works in telly. So, so it's, it feels quite different now, I think. What traits do you think you've got from your parents? I think I think I'm kind of a mixture of both, but I think I'm very emotionally very like mum because mum is a terrible worrier and I'm a terrible worrier. So we will both always sort of leap to the worst possible conclusion about, you know, if if, if an idea comes up, we'll both immediately think, yeah, but that could lead to this, you know, go down that path. Um, but I think I've also got elements of dad in that dad will sort of undercut everything by trying to make jokes actually mum does this to an extent as well trying to make jokes out of everything and not take things too seriously and that's that's a lot like me as well I think I think on balance you're more like dad than than I am and I'm more like mum than you are probably would you agree maybe maybe but I, I but I can see I can see, <laughs> as ever I can see it's a Gemini thing I can see both sides <laughs> we share the same kind of sense of humor and there's a lot of self-deprecatory and there's a lot of, um, uh, there's a very strong sense that we always had of people with who we thought were pompous mm. uh, and uh, puffed up. And we were always very at home. We were, there was always a, a very strong sense of, you know, we wouldn't say it to that person's mm. face, but we're p putting people down for oh, who do they think they are. And I think we, but we equally apply it to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, you have to take what you do seriously, and I do take what I do extremely seriously, but I've, there's always a bit of me that can kind of stand to one side and, and 
think, oh, God, get it over yourself. Yeah. And how did you end up working together? I think that started because uh, Jem came and lived in Oxford during my second year, uh, which I think was not unconnected with the fact that he started going out with one of my best friends who to whom oh. he's now married. Ah. Um, so so you came, you moved up there for a couple of terms, didn't you? I don't know if it was a full year. And that's really when we started writing stuff together because I was at that point, getting involved with the Oxford Review and I was writing songs for it because that was my main contribution. Was I was I was in it, but I was also a songwriter. Um, and then you came and started writing sketches. Oh, but before that, that's right, my first year it must have been because you then wrote the review that we did at, at St Hugh's, which was my college. So, so we were already working together in my first year. I can remember sitting actually at a desk at home with an old, a really old, really, really old, my grandfather's typewriter, fantastic imperial typewriter, uh, hammering out sketches. I was mm. learning and inventing sketches. I knew, I knew the stuff I liked. I knew other people's, you know, I mean, and I'm, to, you know, and, but they were very, they were complete, they were like mini plays, they were character, you know. And just I remember sitting there writing these things and you say you had told me that a friend who's still an old friend had said she could get us some money to put on a That's show. That's right, yeah. So there was this added thing that suddenly not that it was gonna it wasn't gonna pay us anything, but it meant we could stage a show. Mm. And I sat and just hammered out uh, working it on these things. And then that's when it was this following spring, I think, that you moved uh, up. That's there. why. That's why I found a flat there. It was 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 so that we could because I directed it as well. But that so you moved. Uh, was, you moved to Oxford because you were to do yeah to, to do a show to yeah. do a yeah. show. It was all and also, because of love. And also we were because we're going to ask. Well, that was, <laughs> we're going to ask if you get on with each other's partners, but clearly you do. So that's that one covered. So what do you envy about each other? Oh, gosh. That's a good one. Um, I don't know. I think... I don't know. That's, that stumped me. What do you think, Jim? Well, I, I, I've, I've heard you ask that question of other people, and I thought, God, I don't know what I'd say about that. Cause it's interesting that Becca feels the same way. I, I, the only thing I, I could think of was professionally is to not so much to do with you, but to do with what you do. I, I love the idea that people just ask you to do things right. and you can go and do them. Right, yeah. But you also write together, don't you? We, we did up until a couple of years ago. And then a few years ago, I had a really, really busy year. Um, and Gemini at that point, I think had we we had a TV pilot that I think we would it was in development. We had kind of two radio series that had to be delivered at a certain point. And I got two or three really good jobs, one of which involved me traveling overseas constantly. And I remember just thinking it just felt to me like there were endless emails backwards and forwards with me going, uh, really sorry, Jem, I can't do this and I can't do that. And Jem going, OK, that's fine, that's fine. And I started to think, you know, he's doing everything and I'm actually now holding him up. Um, so after a bit, when I came back from at the end of that year, I, I just said, I, I think the two, there's two factors here. Firstly, I'm holding you back and you don't actually need me because he writes brilliantly without me. 
And secondly, I don't really like it. You know, I like being in a room with you because it's because we're siblings and it's fun. And I like being in a room with my other co-writer, Moana Banks, because she's my mate and it's fun. But I don't actually like the writing bit. So can we just do the getting together and not do the writing? And now, actually, there's there's a real treat because we've just done, um, I think it's the, is it the final series of Incredible Women, but it's series nine. So that arrived during lockdown and we recorded it remotely. But the joy for me is that now I... I barely even knew what we were going to be doing on that one. I mean, I know you'd sent me a couple of emails saying, you know, it's going to be this and it's going to be that. And I sort of glanced through them and thought, fine. But I hadn't seen the scripts. It was just like doing a normal radio drama for me. It just arrived and I read it and then I did it. But I'm jumping back to the envy because neither of you have jumped on that. So that's interesting because obviously if somebody asked me and Rachel, oh, we'd know the answer to that. Really? Would, what yeah. would the answer yeah, be? Yeah, of course. Oh, I'm envious of everything. Rachel's really? got her hair, her confidence. <laughs> really goes deep. Her yeah. ability yeah. to attract boys when she was younger. Oh, yeah, endless. Really. And you two just very calmly sat there and said, hmm. Yeah. But I think that, and this is what we're learning through this podcast, is that our, our relationship is... Ludicrous. Slightly dysfunctional. Because <laughs> also I think in terms of when you did work together, you know, we work together, we are so used to it. We take it for granted. We've worked together for years, but it is unusual, you know. Yeah. No, I had a I had a chat uh, a while ago actually with um, I did a table read with uh, Jamie Demetriou, yeah. and we would just very briefly during a coffee break had a chat about because he said, oh, "Of course, you're you're another brother and sister team," and I said, "You know, you guys are sort of the first others that I've met." And now oh. I've worked with Daisy as well. So obviously, you know, yeah. Daisy and Charlie. Yeah. But it's really unusual. And when we were yeah. starting out, because obviously we were older, um, I, I don't know any, were there, were there any other brother and sister comedy people? I'm sure there Can't. were, but I couldn't think. I mean, there was no. Eric Sykes and Hattie Jakes, but they weren't a real brother and sister. I've got a feeling it's very unusual. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah. Don't, I think at the time, we were, we were always slightly surprised that more people didn't pick up on it being unusual, because yeah. it was, yeah. you know... You're pretty unique. Excellent. Who's most likely to run a marathon? Oh, him. I'm far too I, lazy I, for that. I'm a runner. She's and uh, yeah, she. Yeah. You, you hate running. Don't I you? hate running. I, I would. I mean, I'll. I exercise and I like doing yeah. that. But I'm very much. My whole personality is sprint rather than marathon. And I think yeah. your whole personality is marathon rather than sprint. Are you completely honest with each other? That's a really interesting one because I think I said we did an interview uh, a few years ago and I used the phrase we're very polite with each other now, which got picked up, <laughs> which which somebody oh. interpreted as meaning we kind of that's all we are, that we that we basically hate each other. But we, you know, we keep it polite. That is not the case. Um, but yeah. I do think I think we are honest with each other, but we have a very unusual way of of articulating it. So we would almost never go head to head in the way that we would have done when we were kids we wouldn't just we don't just kind of shout at each other but I know if he's irritated with me about something and I'm sure he knows if I'm irritated with him we just we go about it in a really circuitous way and I don't know quite when that started actually because that's that's quite probably quite unusual for siblings but we we do tend to we argue but very politely Oh but, really? Yeah. You never have proper fiery bust ups. No. We have. No. I can't remember the last time we did. Can you? I can't. No, I don't think ever. No. I mean, and we would have done when we were younger, people... but I can't. Like when I bit you. But would well, you know? Forgotten. Yeah, <laughs> we probably did. I can remember being, you know, kind of a good. Oh God, why is she throwing? Why is she stamping up the stairs because some because she's what some boy yeah. did? Blah blah blah. You know that kind of thing. But I don't remember. I honestly don't remember terrible, terrible things like that. And yet I know. 
Uh, I, see, I always find it very... I know people, some people who really, really thrive on that. I mean, I know mm. people almost proudly say, you know, mm. my, my, my sister and I have these screaming rows mm. about that. Yeah. I said, God, I could do without that. No, no, but I think it's not even that. about screaming rows. It's more just the, just the conflict thing. And I think we, we will disagree on things and we'll make our opinions known. But we do tend to do it in a very... Um, we're very protective of each other's feelings. I think that's what it is. And well, I, that's amazing. I don't think that's we a bad both thing. Been in, um, we could both have... If we'd gone a different way, we could both have been in the diplomatic service. Yes, yeah. you could. We could yeah. easily have, you know... So you don't repress stuff and then go back to your partners and say, I hate... Them. No, but I think we... I think it takes me... A, I mean, I'm very uh, conflict-averse anyway. I just am mm. with it in all areas, really. I don't like what my husband calls asking the lady. I don't like any kind of confrontation where I have to go and complain about anything. So that's me, that's just me, generally. I want everybody mm-hmm. to like me, and I, I'm, I hate anything where I've got to kind of ring someone up and go, OK, you did say you were going to deliver this by, you know, and you haven't. So, and I mean, but the weird thing is I am even like that with, with Jem. And to a lesser extent, funnily enough, to a lesser extent with mum and dad, I'm a bit more direct with mum and dad, but I think that's because I talk to them yeah. every single day, whereas I don't with you so with Jem I will absolutely if there's something that needs to be sorted out I'll sort it out with him but I definitely am aware that I do it in in quite a protective way because and I think it's uh because we I don't know I just I really value the nice atmosphere between the two of us and I don't want to blow that I don't want to kind of go barging in and just go you know what you really pissed me off when you because it will just spoil everything and I feel like it would be very hard like your childhood home yeah, it's a yeah, place to go. It's, it's a, a nice atmosphere, out. exactly, and yeah. I don't want to screw that up. And then also, yeah. it, as I say, it's not me to do that. I would never do that at work either. If if there's a problem, I'd always no. find a diplomatic way of handling it. I'll never just yell at somebody. Are there any areas with each other that are off limits? I don't know if we talk much about our relationships particularly, would we? I think not because there's any great secrets. No. I just think we don't tend to... I think maybe because I'm very outspoken and open about stuff and I know you're very very private Jem wouldn't necessarily wouldn't be the person that I would you know want to talk oh, to really? about that kind of stuff because I just think you I just don't think you'd enjoy you it very much about... I think I know I could but I'd probably be more like to maybe talk to Kate than I would to you I think but I don't know I don't yeah. know if you feel like that uh yeah I think I <laughs> we agree on everything I think I do but I don't I can't I've got nothing to. I've got nothing to share. I sort of feel like it would it would be awkward if I went, Jim. I really need to talk to you about oh, something really? to do with the relation oh. with a relationship thing. I feel like that you, uh, you're just quite private about it. Whereas other things, any other problem, I mean, I ha- I do and would and have many times talked to you at enormous length about worries about I don't know money or career or or agent or you know there's a whole lot of stuff where Jem would be the first person I'd talk to but I think if it came to relationship stuff I probably wouldn't I'd probably go to talk to a friend oh yeah and I and likewise I would talk to you all uh, oh, and we do and I've yeah. I mean, I've bored you senseless talking about oh what do you think I should do about uh, or I've got to do this and I don't want or whatever that that we'll talk about till the cows come till you until till she's propping her eyelids up with matches. It's not so much that I'm I'm sake. more decisive, I think, than you. Again, it's the marathon sprint thing. So yeah. so what yeah. we have these long conversations and then I'll kind of go, Okay, so you need to do this and then you don't yeah. do it. you don't do it for another year or so. And I'm kinda of going yeah. at that point I'm going, 
yeah, I, we've, we've yeah. done this. We've, I told you what I think. <laughs> Is there anything that you've never said to each other that you'd politely like to say to each other? <laughs> politely like to, I like the picking no, up. Now we explode. Yeah. Tell you what really uh, pisses you, me off. Remember that time in 1978? Uh, Do you remember? Yeah, that's right. No, I mean, I think, I think if we, you know, if we had a, a real if there was one area of our personalities that where there is a bit of a clash, I think it is that I tend to be quite fast and decisive and you tend to be quite indecisive. So I think that's probably the only area where we are more likely to get a little bit frosty, um, which is my polite version of conflict. Because I will impulsive. I will, yeah. yeah, I'm a bit more well I see, funnily enough, most people think I'm really not impulsive, but compared with you, I'm very impulsive. Mm. So I think that's the only area where I think there's there's a real difference between us. And there are times when I just go, OK, I'm going to do this thing now. And Jem's a bit like, oh, I don't know. We could. I mean, I remember actually the closest we came to having a proper argument some years ago was when the two of us went off to buy a camera for our mum. And we went to John Lewis together to buy this camera. And Jem had Jem said he knows about cameras and I don't. So he said, oh, I'll research it a bit online or on, on which or something. So I knew he'd done about a good week or two weeks of research. And we drove into John Lewis and I parked the car for an hour or something on a metre. And we went in and Jem sort of went, I said, so what is it we're looking for? And he said, oh, it's this, it's the Olympus, blah, blah, blah. So we walked up to it and I called the guy over and said, we're looking, we're interested in the Olympus. And Jem went, although. Oh, and at that no. point, we were then there for about an hour and a half. And I'm, I was putting more yeah. money on the metre. And, mm. and that was the only time I remember thinking, OK, just, I can't do this. I actually can't do this. Yeah. So that's probably the only, culpa, no. the only area where we're very, where I actually would just outright just say, okay, I'm getting really cross now. This is pissing me off now. Yeah. I have to just leave, get a coffee, you deal with it. Yeah. I want to know I've got exactly the right thing. Yeah, he really not does. Just, not just, I'm not going to make do. It's going to be exactly the thing I wanted. And in the right box, <laughs> because if that box is dented, we can't have that box. It's all that sort of stuff. Oh, I don't want That's been thrown. <laughs> some, some idiot's thrown yeah, that exactly. in the back of my van. I'm not going to have that. No. So, yeah. So we will occasionally be less than polite with each other, but it's it's rare, I think. Jeremy, anything to Rebecca? Yeah. Anything to Rebecca? Get off my back. <laughs> <laughs> This has been a Little Wonder production. Logo artwork from Kathy Mason. Voice from Melanie Walters. Music from Rodri Viney. With special thanks to Beth Forrest, Steve Pickup, Sam Roberts, Henry Widdicombe and Jill Williams. Other podcasts from Little Wonder include Here to Judge and Welcome to Spooktown. Subscribe now on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Fucking See you, you next time. On me.